0: Everyone, welcome to the Your Pastor Reads Books podcast, a podcast for Christians of all stripes, where you'll hear ministers discuss their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host Heather Weber, and I hope you enjoy our first season of conversations with ministers about the books that they read. Today, I'm talking with Pastor Dan Bittinger. Dan is an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God with many years of pastoral experience, although most recently, since 2019, he's served as the lead pastor of Cross Point Church in Sioux City, Iowa. Dan got his BS in mass communications and a minor in pastoral ministries from Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. He and his wife, Ginger, have been married for 20 years, and they have three children who are all in their teenage years. Interestingly, Dan was just elected Woodbury County Supervisor in the November 22nd midterm elections. Now, Dan is also a friend and fellow book lover and Iowa pastor. We first really started getting to know each other through the books we were reading as we swapped stories about them in an online Facebook group. He's a deep thinker, a sincere person of faith and pastor to others, and lives a really interesting life. Today, we talk about the book, Known, by Dick and Ruth Foth. Our conversation takes us all sorts of interesting places, from raising readers, to the need for deep friendships between men, and to the power of sharing our stories with others. All that said, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thanks, Heather, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yes. So we're recording on a Monday. And Mondays, I know for pastors are sometimes recovery days. How is this Monday going for you? It's
1: going, it's going, it's going great for me. For me, Mondays are the. Uh, to me, they're they're not recovery. Honestly, they're more the energizing. All right, like coming off the Sunday high or the Sunday. Uh, the Sunday interactions and the Sundays where even the lows and the horrible stories, you know, the, where you hear someone come and they just say, pastor, I need prayer. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had a train wreck in the week to me. Monday is the day of like, all right, it's the action day. It's time to, all right, let's put, let's, let's get on our knees. Let's get in the word. Let's put an action plan. Let's get together. Let's. So I, I love, I love, personally. I love Mondays. Now Thursdays are the day Thursdays are my dream day. Thursdays. I'm like, I'm out of the office. I'm done. I'm, that's my Mondays, Thursdays. For
0: me. Okay. Okay. So your rhythm might be a little bit different than yeah. some others. So Monday is the day where you're like following up, excited about what God started on yes. Sunday. Okay. That's yeah. super cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, now I just mentioned in my intro that you were just elected as the Woodbury County supervisor. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we're recording this at the end of 2022, even though this won't go live till 2023. Um, so how is that going? Congratulations. Sure. And oh, how it's going. <laughs> thank yeah. you.
1: No, it's going, it's going really good. Um, I've always wanted to serve in government. Um, I couldn't do military like my father did and my grandparents, um, but I always wanted to serve. I love history. I love policy and governance. Um, and I just, I, I, I'm thankful for our country, but I just love history. So I've always wanted to serve Opportunity came up to serve on our, on our local supervisors. There's five supervisors for Woodbury County. Um, it's the fourth largest county in Iowa. And uh, I was praying my wife and I felt like this is my time to serve. Um, our, our county has moved in good directions, both fiscally and just, you'd say, policy-wise and governance and just more um, better conversations, better getting, uh, sorry, it's bad English. Sorry, I know your English but even this degree there's there's better communication and more people at the table working together better conversations happening and i wanted to keep that going and i and, I, and secondly i thought to myself uh, i told my congregation i said how can the servant of god if the government's the servant of god how can they how can they hear the word of god or understand how to employ to apply the word of God in government if the people of God don't take it to them and serve and go. And I've really felt the Lord just, just give me that release to say, hey, go into the government. Take, take my son's name into places that where his name is not there yet and go be an ambassador for me. you know. And I mean, we're all ambassadors, right? That's all of our callings. We're all we're all government people. Technically, that's like. And uh, and so with that, that's really what I'm going into looking forward to going and serving the people with Woodbury County, you know, and just having good, you know, good budgets, making sure, you know, good policies. But really just, man, taking the line of Jesus into a new area where, you know, a lot of us as pastors, we can't go or we're not always welcome to go. Um, but being elected, you know, uh, it, it's now I'm there. I have to be there now, which is a great thing. And so that's kind of what's going on. But um, I look forward to it. I start January 1st. So right now, um, right now I'm already getting phone calls from people who are like, Hey, can you take care of this? Can the County do this? And they're like, I'm getting phone calls of either questions or angry, <laughs> angry citizens. Was you know, why is the County doing this? And, and I, I have to remind people, Hey, you know, I don't start till January 1st. I have nothing I can do. So
0: yeah. But, yeah. I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. But I will, I will say this, it has opened up ministry doors already mm-hmm. that I could never have imagined is just, just being an elite pastor by myself. It has opened doors and I've had people ask me that are, they say, Hey, Pat, you know, Hey, Dan, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. But they said, Hey, they, they tell me, why does your faith compel you to do this? Mm-hmm. Or what, 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 you know, they're like, well, what are you going to do as a, a quote Christian in government? And it's opened a lot of really authentic and just honest and very raw conversations. And people have said, well, I still don't believe in Jesus, but I'm at least I'll, can, can you pray for me? You know, I'll take mm-hmm. the prayers, whatever that means. And so, Wow. It has really been kind of that missional living and out um, in our government. So yeah, I, I could go on, and on, but just that's what's um, that's how it's going so far. Supervisor, yeah, so. that's
0: great. I'm glad you said that because just knowing you, I'm sure that when you talk about going into government with the Word of God and being a light, you don't mean you're going in there to make everyone be a Christian oh, or right. like follow the Bible, right? But you're right. going in there to just live following Jesus in front of them right and live yes. the hope that you have in front of them and so when people ask when people say hey will you pray for me yeah you're there you know right. when you have an opportunity yeah. and um you mentioned that you love history yeah. And I think I've noticed that because, and, and history <laughs> informed this decision, but I've noticed yeah. that because of the books you talk about. Um, yeah. You read a lot of history. Yeah. And so this is a great segue uh, into <laughs> our, our topic, which is about you being a pastor who reads books. How did your love of reading develop?
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a great one. Um, well, it, it develops a few, are a few areas. Um, first, every morning, I saw my dad. My dad was a welder and a boilermaker. Uh, every morning, I saw my dad reading the Bible at our farm kitchen table in our old farmhouse I grew up in. Every morning, no matter if it was 5 a.m., 5.30, you know, how cold summer, whatever. My dad always was reading the t- kitchen table. Uh, my mom and dad, they loved to read the Sunday afternoon paper on the couch after, after church and, and they had the whole paper out there. My dad would read the funnies. My mom would read you know, the, the, the political op-eds, stuff like that. And so that was the second thing. Third, my mom was a nurse. Uh, she went on to get her nursing degree um, when I was a young boy. She was already a, a, a LPN, went on to get her, her RN degree. And I remember her reading her textbooks, her textbooks out in the big farm table. Her, you know, her study. I remember going with my mom to classes because we didn't have daycare. And wow. my dad was at work and I had to go, my mom, I would sit in my mom's class, my little Hot Wheels cars and, you know, being quiet and listening to my mom, you know, her, her lectures. And But she always had her books out. She was always reading. Um, and uh, and then my mom taking us to the library uh, out during the summer, my mom would take my brother and I, I think partly because we were two rambunctious boys and we had high energy. And she's like, we're going to go to the library, get as many books as you want, as many as you, you know, your little hands can you know, hold. We go home and she would read them to us. And we sit out on our front porch of our, our farmhouse, you know, and overlook the big county in the, in the country and the trees and the cornfields. And We just would read. And, um, and then lastly, my, my grandparents, my Bittinger grandparents, my dad's parents um, uh, around their kitchen table too. They had books and newspapers. Uh, My, 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 my grandfather didn't uh, was not a, uh, he graduated high school, but uh, both my grandparents came from a really um, poor, horrible background. And, uh, but he was a hard worker, but my grandpa was always reading, reading history and reading the newspaper. And I just grew up in that culture of reading information. And so, it just just, um, and then of course, um, my mom and dad both served in our local church. My mom was one of my Royal Ranger teachers, kids church too. My dad was a deacon most of my life and our son was a God church. And so there was always a love of the word and just what the scriptures say. And, and um, when I was little, my parents got me the little, I don't know if you remember this, the little picture Bibles from back in the eighties, it was like the original cartoon Bible. And I remember just devouring that as a little kid. I, well, I love comics and cartoons. I thought, oh, it was so cool. It's a Bible. And I remember just reading that. And actually my son has that when he was little, he'd started reading the one I had, because I just bet it was worn, torn, just, and so that's kind of how my love of reading and history wow. developed through kind of those situations, those, uh, so.
0: Yeah, you were surrounded. I mean, how could yeah. you not, how could you not become a reader? Um, right. I've heard that there are different studies, uh, and I couldn't quote you on the source right now, but um, in some of them, you know, the, the education or like the literacy of the kids is sometimes dependent on how many books are in the home. Yes. Or, or Mm -hmm. even I've heard there's one study um, that where it links like literacy and education for children to the mother's like educational level. And so it sounds like you really benefited by having those models. I am wondering, as the father of teenagers in this like digital age, where I assume you don't get a literal newspaper delivered to your home. Am I right or wrong about that?
1: No, you're right. I actually get it digitally. I read it on my iPad.
0: Okay, you get a digital one. I'm sorry, I meant you don't get a physical Physical. one.
1: Physical, right. Yes,
0: ma'am. So how has your love of reading rubbed off on your kids? I mean, I'm wondering what's going to happen for our kids. So I'm wondering if you have any theories about this as you see your kids growing up.
1: Well, I, it's sensible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So my wife Ginger, she, she's self proclaimed. She's not a book reader. When we got married, first five years, she was like, "Oh my gosh!" She's like, "How many books do you read, Dan?" <laughs> she's like, "She's like, I've read like," she's like, "I read the Bible. That's it." I'm like, "Well, hey, that's a good one. Keep reading that, babe. You know, don't <laughs> don't look like that. You're fine." But um, but but when we got when we got when we had kids or having kids, um, she she would read the little books. You know, the little you know like you know the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. You know the the basic yes, curious George yes. stuff like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, But I I just encouraged her. I I said, Hey, you know, I said, I said, I said, Ginger, I said, you know, we've just got to, first of all, keep the word, but we got to make sure our kids are always see us physically reading the word. And I said, I saw my grandparents, my mom and dad and I said that that it's imprinted in my memory as a young boy Hmm. and I said said, so so let's just start there and then from there what's interesting what interesting is my reading habits over the years of how much things I would I would read and talk like what we're doing I would talk to Ginger and she'd like of course time she'd wife she was cooking or Hmm. sometimes she'd like all right Dan I could care less about the book you're reading about you know some political figure in 1730 but 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 after over a while She started recommending me books. I started reading. And I think, I think just both of us being a consistent, just consistency and whatever that, whatever that would look like. It's just the Bible, that thing that rubs off on the kids. Um, And then secondly, um, I had a library in my house growing up. So my, my, on our front porch, we had those cheap Walmart bookshelves, whatever you want, you know, just real cheap. I know about those. Yeah. They were stacked with my dad's history books, all my mom's nursing textbooks, Bibles, the, the national geographics for 10 years in a row. Wow. And I told Ginger, I said, Hey, I said, let's, let's make a library in our house. Now, now my wife is a very, uh, I'm so thankful. She's a great homemaker. She's a neat freak. I love it. And I, I, and she says, I grew up, um, a little less, uh, organized quote unquote. And, uh, and, and I, I said, let's have a library in our house. And she's like, okay, but she goes, it's gotta have parameters. Can it be clean? I said, okay, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll trust you, baby. You know, I love you. You do a great job at keeping our house. Wonderful. And so we have a little library in our house and I just, what I do is I keep I keep books on it and I'll just tell the kids, um, Hey, you know, um, Hey, I read this. I think this might tie into what you learned in youth group or um, what you are learning in your academics right now. Um, hey, just read, read this page. And then I'll, and then they hear me sharing it with my wife and talking about it with me and people over from the church and our different books. And I think just being that, first of all, seeing us read consistently and then just talking about it, I think it's fostered that. And so, um, and so I, and so and then having the physical books in our own house, um, and then thirdly, sorry, I said, I wanted two things. sorry. The third thing I apologize is the third thing is, um, uh, taking the kids to the library. Mm. Um, I, I, grew up with that. And, and I just, as when the kids were little, we just, we just started doing that. They would go with me. Of course they were like, dad, you know, when they were little, you got to stick with me. And so they would hate to go with me up to the political or the religion section mm. or the business section. But I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But then we'd go down to the kids section and I would get down there and play with them read. Mm. And we've just done that. So once again, consistency in showing them and leading them by example. And I think that now all of our kids are, all my, all my kids are readers. Now, now they're all different. Um, my son is a one book at a time, methodical, just, he might do, you know, three or four in a year. My daughter, she's going to probably go and get her PhD. My daughter is brilliant. Mm. Praise God. (laughs) My wife is a brilliant, has done awesome teaching. I mean, glory, it's all, all praise Mm. to my wife. But, but my daughter can, is devouring books and loving it. And she's picked up on that. And my, my other daughter, she likes stuff. She's more in science fiction and more Mm -hmm. just as she goes. And, um, but, but all of them have found their own consistent niche and rhythm of reading. So I'm, I'm happy for that. But once again, all of them, uh, which I man, this is, this is all the work of the Holy spirit. So praise God for this. They, all of them have kept us, kept the Bible in front of them. Um, and, and you know, as teenagers, they're not, they don't maybe love it. Like you and I do or appreciate it on this mm-hmm. side, but th- th- they'll read their little verses. They'll read, they'll do their YouTube Bible plans with the YouTube wow. past, you know? Wow. So I'm I'm thankful for that. So I just, I think yeah. it's consistency in showing them ahead, like what to do and, um, and, and just, and, and not, and not, I was sorry Fourth thing. Don't, don't put them in a box. Like one thing I, my wife and I have, have done, I think very specifically is not put the kids in a reading box saying, you've got to read all this. You're going to have to read everything. We've just said, Hey, yeah. there's a wide world of knowledge. God's given us in all different genres and spheres. Let's soak in that knowledge and see how does that interact with the Holy spirit. And how does that make us to be better ambassadors for Jesus? how mm-hmm. can we talk to someone that's a plumber that maybe is a, a, a stock trader or someone that's an English writer, uh English mm-hmm. teacher or a science fiction writer? Like, like, how can reading these different books and styles help us interact to take Jesus to deeper places in our culture? And so um, that yeah. has been a, a, a neat journey to see our kids and say, wow, dad, you know, what you were reading, I talked with my friend, my coworker at Chick-fil-A about my daughter works at Chick-fil-A. Wow. And, and, and I just opened up conversation. Now, of course they didn't, necessarily get saved or have that, you know, but it planted a seed. And I think that reading has helped planted seeds uh, and made our kids uh, think longer and harder about um, what are they inputting in their life Mm. regarding everything, music, food, um, uh, friendships, even by that reading input, as I think Mm. it has made them analyze other parts of their life as well. What am I inputting? Uh, And we we tell our kids, you know, you know, you know, your eyes are not garbage can lids. Your ears aren't garbage (laughs) can lids either. So garbage in, garbage out. Healthy yeah. things in, healthy things will come out, you know, and it's you know, basic parent, you know this, and you do this with your kids well, you know. So uh that's kind of where we're at. That's how kind of that reading started, and I'd say I
0: wow, I appreciate that. I mean, I feel like you just uh taught a mini class for for parents on how to disciple their kids through reading books and how to mm. prepare them to also like just understand the world and understand different yes. kinds of people and you really can't share the gospel of Jesus well without knowing who you're talking to.
1: Right. You don't,
0: you don't know what it is they need or what their context is or what their biggest concerns in life are. And so using that as a tool to help people understand other people, God loves is fantastic. Um, I do have to say we have three daughters and when our kids got our oldest two got smartphones it was like the reading just plummeted. Mm. And I they still see us reading. They yeah. they and they got busy with other things, working and music and and all that stuff, but my youngest is still reading even though she has a smartphone. She is yeah. still reading. And I'm so pumped about that. I'm like hoping that will go the distance here. Yeah. Um. We also, like, you're encouraging me because we also have tons and tons of books, like, downstairs, we have bookshelves spanning an entire wall. <laughs> yep. And the kids hear me talking about books, and I've never really thought about how that actually influences them, you know, that yeah. I'm aging with a book and talking to my husband about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, go, but my degree was in mass communications, video broadcast, and minor pastoral ministries. And I tell my kids, my kids all have the YouVersion Bible app. They also have the digital app for our local library to download books. So they read that. But one thing I've presented, I've told the kids, I said, kids, you know, um, I, I said nothing wrong with not being a hater on technology. You know, I'm not gonna be that old crotchety guy, you know, oh, you know, we don't like media. But I told the kids, I said, kids, there's something different about something physical. And I, I said, I'm thankful to have the word of God on my phone. I've got it everywhere. I can never imagine this as a kid, having the, you know, the Bible in my pocket. But I said, there's, no, I said, there's, there's something physical. I said, I said, I said there's, there's a difference between seeing the picture of you know, me hugging my kids versus hugging my child or seeing a picture of my wife and I on a wedding day hugging versus hugging my wife in living color. And, I, and me and my wife and I, we really try to work that into the kids saying there's something about physically holding the word of God. Now we know there's nothing you know, inherently, mystical about a Bible in the sense of, you know, there's millions of printed. I mean, you know where I'm going with this, but there's something physical. And so we've tried to really work that in uh, because my daughter, she's, she's, she's done a little more reading on her, on her, my oldest on her smartphone, her books, but she's still reading a lot. But I told her, I said, you know, sometimes I said, just grab that book and feel the pages, make a note on it. You know, you know, have that worn cover. I said, just like the word of God. I'm like, like sometimes you got to, you've got to wrestle and feel it tangible with it.
0: I'm sure there's some scientific study to back up what you're saying. Like I have right. read that better learning happens in our brains when we're even taking notes through writing yes. than if we're typing. You know, so yep. I don't know what that's all about, right. but, <laughs> yeah. but but maybe you're onto something, and maybe you know, maybe know. there will be some research done on yeah. this at some point <laughs> in the future. Uh, so I invited you on the show, and you selected a book you wanted to talk about that has. Shaped you as a follower of Christ in recent yeah. years. And I'd love for you to introduce that to our listeners and sure. tell us a little bit about the book.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's uh I, I want to talk about the book. It's called Known. It's in and it's known Finding Deep Friendships in a Shallow World, uh by Dick and Ruth, uh, Ruth Foth. Uh, they're pastors. A lot of times, may, if you're of, uh, um, Mark Batterson's church, he's a frequent speaker out there. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that's the book. It's all about friendships. Uh, and uh, Dick talks about how this came out of a life plan journey he went through at his, I, I think he's in his late 70s now. So this was back about four or five years ago. He decided, went through this kind of, hey, what are you doing with your life kind of um, little two-day seminar thing. And out of that came this idea about books and about friendships. Him and his wife really felt... Um, uh, that a lot of uh, pastors and people didn't have deep friendships. That it was very mm. shallow or surface, or very just—you um, uh, get what you need from the friendship and then you move on. Mm. But there was not these deep friendships that were uh, abiding and walking with people over their lifetime. Mm. And so that's kind of the premise of the book. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm 42 this year, and about a couple of years ago, I thought to myself. Um, Uh, where am I at with my friends in my life? Um, I'm very thankful for my father. My father passed away nine years ago, but I saw my dad the last 10 years of his life. He had no friends.
0: Mm. Um,
1: he didn't do a lot of things with anything. And and my dad was more of a quiet man. I have my mom's personality and I love my mom for that. Um, but my dad was a strong, quiet guy and everything. That's okay. But my dad didn't have I didn't see any of those lasting friendships in last, that last last decade of his life. I know he had friends, but I always asked myself, how did he lose those deep friendships he had? I saw the pictures, I heard the stories of adventures and hunting trips and, hmm. and, and, and adventuring. I heard these stories, but I'm like, but my dad was died alone, other than just you know, my family and my mom, like you know, just hmm. there's no deep men in his life, other than my my, my brother, my my excuse me, my uncle, my dad's hmm. brother. And so so that so about two and a half years ago, I started asking myself these questions. That's when the book came out. And I thought, you know, what am I doing to, to continually build the, the friendships in my life? And so that's what I'm going to talk about.
0: Nice. Um, okay. Um, so is this book sort of like his encouragement for people to get friendships, how to do it? Like, sure. tell us a little bit yeah. more about, yeah.
1: Yeah. So they say in the book, they, they, they share their spiritual principles already right from scripture about how to build friends. How do you, how do you give and take? Hmm. Uh, how do you tell your story? How do you, how do you share your life story with someone else? How do, and then how do you receive someone else's life story and how they live and, and their past and their you know, current and what what do they want to do in the future? How to, how to receive that, how to, um, how to be enriched by these friendships. Hmm. Uh, they, they give some, so, you know, very practical do's and don'ts, but it's more, um, a lot of it comes from more of a philosophical of what does, what does scripture paint for us and all the, the stories of people in the Bible. What is what if? What are the, the stories of friendship? What are, what's painted of that for us in scripture? Mm. So that's kind of what they what they um, what they talk about. And they talk about friendships, you know, through seasons of marriage, and then friendships through seasons of of leadership. What is that what does that look like? What are those ebbs and flows? And so um, that's kind of what they dive into.
0: This is an important topic, and I was recently in a leader retreat and the speaker was talking about the importance of friendship. And he just hmm. kept saying, get a friend, get a friend, yes. get a friend. Yep. And I was sitting there though, and this is a little bit of a segue and then I'll get back to you, but oh, I, was yeah. sitting, I was sitting there thinking, but I have friends, like do people not. And I, I mm-hmm. realized like I could count, you know, four people I could call and tell anything to yeah. who have been friends for years. Yep. And I was looking around the room, though, and it was more guys. And, and I think the guys were really relating to this message that you yep. need to get a friend. And I just started thinking about the ways in which I think culture um, sort of trains girls and young women to be more, a little bit more relational from the yes. beginning yep. and doesn't necessarily teach those types of things as readily to, to boys. I don't know. What are your thoughts about sure. that?
1: Sure. So with that, I, I agree with that. What I've been asking myself is, I, I, I've been trying to look through history. When did that switch happen? Because if you look at scripture in the Hebrew culture, the men were the men were battle buddies. They were the band mm-hmm. of brothers. They were the, you know, you, you know, I, I call it. I, 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 there was a moment, there was a movie called Bad Boys uh, with Will with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. I'm not I'm not saying that's a good movie to watch. Just a <laughs> disclaimer. But there's a phrase in that says, "We ride together, we die together." And I start asking myself, "Where is that? Where is that male bonding? Where it's man, we ride together, we die together. Man, mm. it's thick and thin." And, and it's a very good question. I, I I agree with you. I've got men in my church that they have no friends. They're, they're little islands. You know, you know. Thomas Merton wrote the book. You know, no man is an island. Back many years mm-hmm. ago, back in the '60s. And I and I have I've been thinking about that. How do we address that? But you're right. So how do you how do you engage and bring those those but those male guys, those battle buddies into your life that are mm-hmm. open and authentic? You, know, you can be completely transparent because I look at King David. He wept with his his mighty men. They yeah. clean their tools together. They went in the battle together. They celebrate together. And I, so I asked myself how sad in the Christian church now that men don't have that. They think Christian Christian men, they're just the Stoics and you just be a good, strong, Stoic conservative. And you just, you know, you know, you just, you don't cry. And I'm like, but that's not the reality when I'm counseling with the men. That's not the reality that I see. The men are emotional. From what I'm meeting with men and as I'm learning and pastoring, I, I've got more men that sit on my couch in my office that will weep and over, over the hard things and weep over having a wonderful wife and kids mm-hmm. or weep over the goodness of the Lord. And then they'll get up and man, they'll be willing to help someone fix their car or go lift their hands and worship. And I'm like, it's just interesting how we're paid in different ways. And, but, but, but a lot of these men, once again, they don't have friends that they, they may have all this mm-hmm. in one area, but the other area is lacking. So I, I have been mm-hmm. studying that. And how do we address that? How do we have our men have deep men, men's ministries that have friendship, not just men's ministry. Where you get together and you have pancakes and you you read a Bible verse. I'm like, okay, that's okay. That's been done. That's okay. But how do we have men that when you get out and live life together, you, you have that ride? We ride together. We die together. Man mentality. That's what I want to build that band of brothers, like, you know, from the HBO, you know, special, the band of brothers, when you watch the documentary in the book, like those guys stuck together after the war, like, how do you build that into Christendom in mm-hmm. men and so that's what um, I've always personally that's just decided I've always been passionate about men's ministries and, and helping men have friends, just after seeing my dad's own experiences so that's a good um, that's. Yeah. I, I don't know, but you are right. You are right. Um, with yeah. That. And you so, know,
0: it, it also suggests to me that, that you're a safe pastor for some of those, for those men yeah. in your church to show, show their feelings too, which is fantastic. And so you're able to model it. So tell me, yes, yes. tell me what some of the sure. nuggets are yep. sure. and like, what stuck with you, what's shaping you, what are you going to take with you to like yeah. revolutionize? Uh, male male friendships (laughs) in your in your realm of of influence
1: right well one quote is he talks about they say uh uh, dick and and ruth wrote they say they say friendship by definition is unique it's all about investment and vulnerability um i i i I have been encouraged. i've that convicted me and myself even in my marriage my in my relationship my children and then other men in my church is that friendship isn't about just keeping it just the status quo and don't go too deep you know, don't, don't get on like extremes, you know, just keep it, just share. Oh, I've had an okay day. You know, just keep it, you know, the classic Midwestern. How's your day? Oh, it's okay, dokie. Yo, it's all good. You know, but, but, but it, but it takes investment, time and vulnerability. And so it's really been challenging me with men I meet in my church, my, some of my leadership team, just guys in the community I meet my neighbors, my the guys on my street I live on. Like how am I investing in them and how am I being vulnerable for them? Because that vulnerability takes trust. That that means I have to give of myself. And I wonder, and I, theologically, when we don't give of ourselves, are we denying the fact that Jesus gave of Himself? And we don't want to replicate that. If we're supposed to be replicate Him, then why are we not being vulnerable with others? And so I've been asking myself that.
0: When you say that, do you mean like sort of like venturing into that vulnerable territory before a neighbor does, right? Of yes, of saying like, here is me. Yes, here's me, and I'm yes. taking a risk on you. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's that proverb that you know Solomon wrote: to be friendly, you have to show yourself friendly. Mm. To, to have others be vulnerable, you've got to be vulnerable first. And and I've been working that with, with my oldest daughter, just talking, just some, you know, as she's getting ready to go to college. You, you want to make new friends, but you got to put yourself out there. I know it's scary, but I think it's that principle here: it's investment and vulnerability. Um, another one, I talked, uh, quote: they said they say life revolves around two things relationships and money. And that's, that's true. And only one of these makes us rich. Um, My grand, I grew up hearing my grandmother say my whole life that your, your family is your fortune. I mean, I remember one time me and my cousin said, grandma, you're embarrassing us. We heard that enough. Like, okay, we got it. Now this side in, you know, I'm like, wow, she was really right. And I've been working with my kids telling them I, my, my, my modern translation of my grandma's phrase is that relationships are the currency of the kingdom. And I tell my kids at some time, you're at some point in life, you're going to find yourself relationally rich or poor, broke out in the street, mm. with no relationships. And I said, and so i encouraged encouraging. I'm like, I'm like the kingdom's all about relationships. And, the, and I tell my kids, that's the reason why daddy stays after church. Not because there's times I, I'm an extrovert, but I want to go after church, you know, like you, there's times I've had a long week, you know, there's life and there's parenting and I just want to go home. But I, but I tell my kids, man, we have to be, remember that we have to build that relational coinage. And by being vulnerable, by staying one extra second, praying one extra time, sharing with someone in our church, being open, saying, you know what? Like I tell my church a lot of times, and my church, my, they love it. Now, I, I've told them sometimes times, I don't want to be up front preaching today. I want to be at home. I'm sick. I'm tired. I've had a, a heck of a week with my wife and kids. I don't want to preach the word of God. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel, but, but that vulnerability, but, but in there, mm. it has unleashed a spiritual vib- vibrancy in our, in our little church mm. and others going out. So I, so I really think with that relational rich and give, you know, you, you've got to give, and you've got to be vulnerable first. Um, another quote, um, they, they, they asked, they, they say, have you asked your friends, what does a God connected friendship look like? Mm. Um, and out of that, I've been, um, the men that I've been meeting with, I've been asking them specifically, have never really done this. I've Ahead of time, I preemptively said, what do we want to get out of this relationship together? Now, it almost sounds like you're trying to propose to them. It sounds kind of weird not for guys. But I've asked them, hey, I said, what does God want to do in this friendship that will further his kingdom and, and bring those men that are on the edges, those men that are about to eat, do self-harm? Walk away from their marriage. Walk away from God. I said, "What does what God want to do in this friendship?" That says "Hey, man, you've got a battle buddy." That our God is a God that that puts us in families to belong to one another. That's what I would ask these men, and that's what So I've you're
0: been, so you're like defining yeah. defining the relationship with them. Of what are yes. we here for? Yes.
1: What are we here for? And it is really wow. I've, I've been really surprised. Of how some of these men have said, I want a man to pray with me. I want a man to tell me, hey, keep going in my marriage. Don't give up today. Fight mm-hmm. one more day, you know, and then all those different things we find ourselves in. It has really been interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not doing this. I'm doing this with men across the city, mm-hmm. other homeschool dads from different church mm-hmm. backgrounds, but beliefs. And what is interesting, all of them keep sending back, I need a man to hold me close to the word, hold me close to my prayer life. Am I inviting God to search my heart, know my anxious ways, day King David said in Psalms? All the men are asking for this. And it's blowing my mind, Heather, honestly, because what I'm seeing is um, I'm seeing these men are saying, these men are saying I need these friendships. They're seeing the value of friendships. And, they're, and a lot of them have said the same thing I said. They saw their dads, great men of God, great hard workers, faithful, you know, providers faithful to their, to their moms, you know, their, their spouses, good examples, but they were lonely. They had no buddies to just to go kick it with, go have a root beer, ride the tractor, go, you know, go on a camp out or something or whatever, you know, your contextualization. And I'm like, how sad. so these men are asking for these same things. And, and out of the spiritual component first, what I'm finding is a lot of these guys now I said, Hey, you know, Hey, Dan, let's go camp and let's, um, uh, let's go shoot hoops. Um, hey, you want to come out and combine? I'm a farmer. Why don't you go sit in my combine and we'll talk, and I'll show you what a combine does. Now, now um, you've got life experiences, yeah. and now, once again, you can connect and go deeper with Jesus into a third area. Uh, another another one they say, I've got two more, is they say that storytelling provides a pathway to knowledge and friendship. They they really talk in the book about storytelling as friends. They, they talk about, uh, there's a quote by Ursula Gwynn uh, that says, um, uh, there's been a lot of great societies that, that, um, that didn't use the wheel, that didn't use technology, but, but were great, you know, but they said there's never been an excellent or or a long lasting society that didn't use storytelling or didn't tell stories. And in the book, they talk about that. They said, they said, you can be friends with someone, but you never share your life. You never tell them the story of your life. Um, yeah, they, they know you live at this street. They know you're married. They know you're a pastor. They know, you know, you grew up in Ohio. They know all these biographical facts, but they don't know your story. What's been, mm. what God has been weaving through your life. And so they, they, they talk about that storytelling provides a pathway to knowledge and friendship. And you say that you're to be a deep friend, you have to have the knowledge of the person you're with. Mm. Um, and so that's really challenged me, um, to use my words more precisely, more surgically, more, um, m- more prophetic in the sense of, uh, of, of telling us here's what God's done in my life from birth until now here's what he's done in my family in my marriage and, and as I meet my, my friends my guy friends I'm like tell me a story about your life tell me when you met with God tell me when or tell me the heights tell me the lows tell me the middles and I start seeing the fabric that God is weaving through humanity of his redemption power through the struggles you know I mean you're really you're a pastor you get it you know there's just seasons of life. It's just hard for everybody. And I, but, but we start that storytelling. I start saying, oh, it encourages me. Well, I can, when I don't want to share, when I don't want to be vulnerable. Okay. Ties into that. When I don't want to give of myself first, it reminds me people love a good story. People yeah. want to know a story. And, and I, when I share, I give a chance to tell the story of God through my life. And so that was, um, that quote has really been helping me with the guys to tell them, Hey, share your story with your wife, Yeah, you know, with your kids, with the guy on lunch break, share your story because it is unique. The creator of the universe made you and gave you a story to tell, uh, a life book to give of your life to share. And so that's just—I
0: want to just—I want to interrupt you because I think I think what you're saying is at least true experientially for me. Um, I was thinking just now as you mentioned neighbors, how many neighbors I've lived in my neighborhood for 11 years. And there are certain neighbors I feel like have never gone past like a certain sort of like Midwestern nicety with. Right. Yep. And And then there are others who I'm like, I'm connected to them. But it is because of story. It is because yeah. we were sitting in a living room drinking coffee. It is because our kids were in dance class together. And we sat yeah. and we traded some hard things about our history. And there's like, there is a connection there. There's a sense of like, I you know, I've got some of that, whatever you, what did you say? The currency of the kingdom, right? I've yes, got, yeah, I've got some currency, relational yeah. currency with these, yep. with these folks. Yeah. So what else, Dan?
1: Oh, sure. No, that's good. That's, that's good. That's, that's that's challenging too. I, I need to, There's cause there's, you're right, there's, there's neighbors. I need to get to know even more too. I've been, I've been the Midwest nice too. God. For, forgive me for that.
0: But the reality is like, uh, we are limited human yes. beings right yep. and so right. there are times when we can't give right. away what yeah. we want right. to
1: and i want to caveat that right there is the whole mm-hmm. jesus said you know don't give your you know your pearls to swine there is right there's a sermon in wisdom i like, you know and i'm not saying it's a full carte blanche you know you just blab to everybody but i i think more than not when i look at my church we hold back more mm-hmm. than we i think we give to others just Basically. Lastly, they say a quote, they say, um, they say, they say uh, about storytelling. They say God is God telling, sorry, God telling his story says, quote, come know me. And they, in this in this chapter, they talk about how God's story through the Holy Inspired Word and through Jesus, the incarnate, the living word, see it says, Come know me. And the book is called knowing Knowing, Finding Deep Friendships in a Shallow World. And and that comes to me, that reminds me, there's a book a while ago by Parker. I don't know if you ever read um, to be, to known as it, uh, to, to know as um, it's by Parker Palmer. He's a, he wrote a book. Uh, uh, it's called To Be Known As You Are Known. That's what it is. To, to, I've kn- read to be
0: known. a lot of quotations by Parker Palmer in yeah. other books, but haven't yeah. read it. His so that one, ever. yeah,
1: it's, it's known to be known. Anyhow, it's, he wrote it's a great one I recommend to read. Um, hmm. And that ties into this. That God invites us to know his story. He says, come know me. And, and that last quote has just, in this part of my life, this part of season of pastoring, it's really convicted me to, in a sense of, is, is, yes, I study God's word. Yes, I, st- I, I read history books, archaeological books. I read theological books. I talk with other pastors you know, in our network that are just brilliant theologians. But have I have I stepped into that next vulnerable spot where I'm knowing God, the experiential relational covenant God, or do I just know facts and books about Mm. this God I serve? Mm -hmm. And that part has really convicted me recently, even how even how my, my wife and I have been talking about this a lot. Are we? Do we know God, or we just know a fact about God? Mm. And that book, in Parker, Parker Palmer writes about. He says, talks about education as a spiritual journey to know that we are known by by the living Creator, Jehovah God. And mm. He talks about that. About about instead of just knowing an the educational theory, do you know the one who gave us the minds to think of theories? And you know, he goes in that whole motif. But it's really that that last quote they write in that book about you know God telling his story says, "Come know me." I've just I've really been ruminating on that about what does that mean to know God to a a greater experiential level? Um, And I'm not talking, you know, we're both, you know, Pentecostals, we're there. I'm not talking about the weird stuff, not about the mysticism where, you know, it's some weird dark room. I'm talking about that concrete, you know, how to, you know, tangible, um, experiential. Yeah. Spirit to spirit. Yeah. Like, I'll give a quick example if I can. Um, I, I had a lady in our church come, and just share with me uh, that, that she, she's been struggling with mental health and, and actually dabbling in some of the demonic stuff, I mean, literally. And, and she, she, it was overwhelming her. Two weeks ago, I said, call the name of Jesus out loud and he'll break. We talk about the, the, you know, the word of God is the lamp and all the metaphors about light in scripture. And she, she came up to me yesterday and said, Dan, I called on the name of Jesus because I was feeling it. I was hearing the voices. I was feeling the darkness. And she goes, I've felt a presence I've never felt in my young life. She goes, everything was silenced. The darkness was gone. The voices were gone. She -hmm. goes, all I could felt was peace and warmth and happiness. And she came up to me. She goes, Dan, what is that? She Mm -hmm. goes, Pastor Dan, what is that?
0: Wow. And
1: I said, I said, that is the tangible experiential experience with the relational God. That's the spirit invading. That is what I want to, and that's last quote. And then with friendship with God. That's what I want to get to, to a new place in my own life, Heather, in my own in my own walk with God. Is, is am I in a deeper friendship with God than I was ten years ago? Do I know Him at a deeper level, not just a concept? I praise God for the minds and, and and theological stuff. You know, you know, we both sure. we have to, you know as ministers, but man, I want, I want to know a friendship that is deeper than just a, a theory or a word. I want to experience that tangible presence, um, and so. So that's so some of the quotes I've really just been, I've been working on just trying to process it. And what does this mean to be a friend to men, you know, a friend of my wife, you know, all that stuff. And just a friend, a friend, to be a friend of God. I've really been, after reading the book, known it's really made me think, what does that even mean now, to be a friend of the living king? I don't have an answer. I I mean, I know we know what it means, but there's so much more, but yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean it's beautiful. I mean, and, and you touched on the thing I was going to ask you next is like, how is it shaping you as a follower sure. of Jesus? And that, that is, um, you know, what you're alluding to. And so what are the things like, I, like you can read books till the cows come home about God, right? Uh, but there's a difference between me setting down, like my, like right now I have some like not very well-known Japanese theologian whose book I've been making my way through, like after I read the Bible in the morning, it's like, there's a difference between reading that and then stopping and sitting in silence for 10 minutes and mm-hmm. just like sitting with right. God or waiting on yep. God or being present. So like, what are you doing sure. to open yourself up to know God more?
1: Yeah. Um, well, a few things I'm doing. Um, I have intentionally uh, slowed down. Um, I, I, if you know me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an energizer bunny. I've always been since I was a little kid. I've got energy. I'm excited. I'm like, you probably can hear it in my voice. You're a fast talker. Yeah, I am a fast (laughs) talker. (laughs) But this, it is what it's made me do since reading is I've really purposely tried to, it's hard. I'm not perfect at it. It's really been hard to slow down in friendship, slow down and, and see the one that's in front of me, Mm-hmm. and just be like, okay, God, what is the story you want to weave into my life through this friendship in front of me? Not just, oh, I, I need to read the cliff notes, get the story, move on to the next thing. But, but really just slow down. That's the one thing. I know it's, I've heard that before, but I'm really trying to do that right now. I, and I'm, I'm seeing the benefits of that. even with my, with my wife, just our friendship. You know, you go in friendship with your spouse, uh, both of us have committed just to, in this season of life with three teenagers to slow down and what does friendship look like now? What is the friendship God wants to weave into each of us mm. as partners in this part of our life? Mm. And I'll tell you, it, it's brought up some hard conversations. It's brought up some good things. It brought up some mm. things in the middle. We're like, eh, what do we do with this? Um, mm. So that's one thing. Another thing it's really caused me to do is, um, is to go out and really purposefully, like I was talking about, invest in others uh, and and invest in others specifically that cannot give me anything back. Hmm. Um, and I know we know that as leaders, but what I see practically in the church, a lot of times is that, that ROI, that return on investment, what donors, what leaders can bring return on investment for the church, for a program, for my lead deacon team, all that. And I have, I have come to the point where I've said, you know what, that can be good, but I'm stopping that. And I'm just saying, God, you said to invest in others, period. And I don't I don't get to determine the growth rate, the return rate, what I think I need. And so I said, God, you said to invest in the love because you've poured your friendship into me. So I've I've really made a point is try to help others spend time with you know with that one person that you know you don't want to talk to. You know that they're just it's drama mama. Wait,
0: you know people like that, Dan? I like do as a pastor, what?
1: <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and I, I've had to sit down and I have been so humbled mm. and amazed in the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says you think so highly of yourself when you won't give this, you know, the image of God bear in front of you a, a, a second because yeah. they can't give you anything back. And 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 I've learned that's friendship is when we give deeply with no thought of ever getting anything back. It's convicted in my marriage too. Wow. Uh, I had to tell my wife that I said, you know what I, I've been really lately sometimes I think well I've done this and that I've been you know committed husband for 20 mm-hmm. years I mm-hmm. it's time for the investments to start paying up, sweetheart and God has convicted me no 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 son you want to go deeper you want a holy marriage an intimate marriage a, a fun marriage It's time to give even more without anything in in return for friendship and so that's what I've been learning is is giving that um and yeah, then let last- me
0: let me ask you before yeah. you move on though yeah. like, do you think that word, because of what it conjures up for us as leaders, the word "investment"? Do you think it's problematic that we use it in the church
1: yeah, so well, often? Yes. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think I don't think it's problematic to use it. I think it's problematic because the, we have not defined it well enough. We have not we not specified its book and its parameters. Um, there is investment. I do think the kingdom. Yes, there is biblical business principles about investment that the church needs to do. I think. Jesus speaks to that psalm. that's there. And I'm not, and I'm not debating that. I don't think it's wrong, but I think we've used investment. A lot of times as somehow to in friendship and relations and somehow mm-hmm. you got to invest to get something back. It's almost like a, mm-hmm. a guaranteed financial principle versus the investment is, um, the investment is, I don't know how to describe this, how to put this in the words. When Jesus said, when, when Romans, well, sorry, when Paul said, you know, why we were yet sinners, you know, Christ died for, for the ungodly, mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. I think investment is you give, you invest because it's the right thing to do. You, you do the right mm-hmm. thing. You invest and you give because Christ has given so much overabundance. We have nothing but to pour out again. Mm-hmm. And, 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 in, and if the end of all days is, if investment, if, if, if at the end of all time, when we see Jesus, we're going to lay everything down regardless. Mm-hmm. What is the point of demanding investment thinking? We got to invest it. What's the point of it? If we're going to give it all up at the end. Why not go ahead and practice the, the pre eternal life? Uh, the, 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 the prequel, why don't we practice going just giving everything, investing, just giving it out to people without any hope of return because we're going to give everything up at the end of all time anyhow. And so I've been really working on trying to uh, teach our people that investment is given to the other so that they can get, take us another step closer to see the eternal God um, and see that, that, that if the eternal God sacrificed for us, and then you are willing to sacrifice for this person in front of you, mm. that there must be a God in heaven that cares about you because this person will give everything and not, re- and not require anything back.
0: That's and so, so good. So I've been trying to, de- de-
1: I've been trying with our church family here, trying to book in and describe investment like that. Now I know it's not pretty, I got to work on I'm still working. Well, through. yeah,
0: it's all right. I didn't prepare yeah, yeah. you to ask for an elevator speech, but um, you know, and I think too, as you're talking about how. Christ is a self-emptying God. I mean, scripture speaks of how he yes. emptied himself, right? Yes. And so, so the idea of us emptying ourselves for the other um, without yes. this demand. And and I think like we, uh, like, as you say, we don't, haven't always defined it well in church ministry. So, um, you know, I think sometimes there's talk of like, I'm investing in these leaders so oh, that yeah. these leaders will then help run my ministry. But then what happens is these leaders get called somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> we know we're disappointed.
1: Right. So, 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 here's another way how I got capped about investment. Uh, Robert, Robert Greenleaf was the former at and CEO back in the seventies. Mm. He's the original one that really coined servant leadership, that term mm. we, which we use now, but I don't know if I don't, I've only heard two people ever quote his full definition of what he defined it as. Huh. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, he said he, his servant leadership is, he goes, is this, he goes, do those being served? Do they be, Do they are they more likely, and do they become more free, more autonomous, mm. more healthy, and more likely themselves to serve others? Mm. That's what he defines servant leadership as. So I've, yeah. I've I've imported that into my definition of investment. Mm. What is an investment? What is investing? Investment servant leadership. It is the people in my church that I'm serving, that neighbor on the street, that person in front of it are they more like, are they becoming more free, more autonomous and not autonomous as in, you know many gods, but you know what I mean? More yeah. healthy, able to stand alone, work, take, provide for the family. Are yeah. they,
0: and even like stand in their relationship with God on their exactly. own. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. No God.
1: That is what I would define as investment, investment, servant mm. leadership. And oh, that is good. what I've been kind of characterizing, but, um, mm. but you're right. Yeah. I, I think we have to give them more. Um, we have, we have to serve the self emptying God. And and out of the friendship, I just wonder how many times have I lost a friendship because I was so selfish about what am I getting out of this? Mm. And I I mi- I missed the long haul spiritual development of Dan Bittinger because I was so wow. selfish. Wow. Um, and I and so that's what's that's been really getting on my heart convicting, looking at all my friendships. Um, uh, there's a group we get together with. Um, we, we've got, my wife and I are part of a little venture group uh, here uh, with other couples. We go hiking trips with the Grand Canyon, Pikes Peak. We're going on other things. Like we go out and do these hiking trips and ventures. Um, and I, and I told them we were all together, you know, when you get anybody around a campfire, you know, you got tears, everything, everybody starts sharing. And, and, uh, and I just shared, I said, guys, I said, I've been selfish a lot of times. I said, I, you know, I've, I've been guarded. And I said, I want to be better friends. I said, you know, I said, you only get a few, maybe close friends in life. To journey with, and I said uh, to the group, and all the group at time, we were all done I mean, every guy, every woman, I and mean, we were all crying, hugging. Mm. We're all believers. We all close, you know, friends, and we all just said, "I mean, we have to uh, show our children, our grandchildren, the great grandchildren, what does it mean to have deep friendships mm. in a world that's always worried about the return of investment for themselves." Mm. And and so we've kind of committed as a group of how to how do we model that. Um, in in our, you know, use it in our imperfections and our selfishness yeah. that's still there. And so we're all trying to work through that together about giving um, and invest and in, investing in others. That's, that's, that's a lot um, more uh, selflessness. Mm. Self, selfish, sorry, less selfish. Mm. Sorry. So.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, on, on one hand, I mean, the book has caused you to think about like do I have friendships, like am I building friendships yes. that do serve me that 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 do yes. um are life giving and nurturing mm-hmm. but on the other hand, you're also saying like just for the sake of god like how how well am I getting to know and being a friend yeah. to other yes. people
1: yeah yeah and, and, and another thing that's helped me done passion um I would say, to answer your question is um it's really helped me remember um my calling is. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I need to be a friend to the one in the community. That's lonely. Mm-hmm. That does feel like no one cares about, them. there is no God. I think sometimes pastors, I've, I've been challenged. I was starting passion. Uh, one of my mentors challenged me. He said, Dan, he said, do not get locked into your office. all week. Do not get into studying 40 hours a week. He goes, he goes, you better be studying. You better be praying. He goes, but that's not because you're in the office. You could do that. He goes, that's on your own time. And he goes in your office. Yes, you do prayer and studying. And I'm not negating that. But he said, but he said you're a pastor to the community, um, and 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 that stuck with me. And then my uncle, he's re, he's retired. Somebody's a guy, a minister. Mm-hmm. He was always out in the community. And he he and, and he's 70 years old. And he reminded. He just called me a few weeks. ago. reminded me. He said, Dan. He said. He said. He said. You, he said. Every pastor is a gift. Of, can offer the gift of friendship. You know, friendship and relationship to those in the community that are lonely. And he goes, don't, he Once he said, don't get stuck in your office. Hmm. He said, go out with the light. And and, I, and then it's really reminded me, it's changed me to remember that, that I'm encountering people at Hy-Vee Walmart at my son's basketball game that yeah. are lonely. They're dying yeah. in their own prisons, in their own homes that are, you know, it's, a, it's just caving in on. And I'm like, I can be that friend because, you know, because Jesus, we see in this print, in the parables, you know, in, the, in the parables and the scriptures, got Jesus is going out meeting everybody. He's a friend of everybody. So my thought is, if we're supposed to be priests, like our high priest, Jesus, then why am I not out meeting friends with everybody and being known and being a friend to people that need it? So it's just really making me think about um, those that I know that maybe not come to my church. I can go be a friend of them. I can be a friend of that dad sitting on the bleacher at my son's basketball game right now. That, that doesn't have any guys in his life, that'll, you know, be a, be a battle buddy. of will speak truth. And so it's really been thinking to myself, how do I pastor our community yeah. um, more and how do I get out um, yeah. in that? And then, good. and then the, the, the next thing it's really caused me to is um, when I see other men um, go deep first, go deep, D- dive into the deep pool of relational pool and, and, and see what comes out of that. Man. Hmm. And I, and it has surprised me. Um, and on our community, what men are saying. And, and, and I'm, i talking with them too. I've, I've built a friendship with women too, but, but a lot mm-hmm. of times I just, mm-hmm. my heart just goes out to the, to the guys in our community. Um, Cause and you see I'm, them
0: as being more isolated. For yes, more, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, makes sense. You're right.
1: Yeah. And so, and I realized that if we, if we build strong men, we have strong husbands, strong families, strong, you know, in, you and know, all that neighborhoods, jobs, all that stuff. But, um, but I've noticed how many men have instantly will go deep and how many men have said, you know what I was, I was, I was hurt by as a boy, I was abused as a boy. My Mm. wife left me for another man. Mm. I am lonely. I'm angry. What do I do with this, Dan? And it has been, and I've been like, Oh Lord, God, I need you. God, our community needs you. They need the friend of friends. God, they need you. And so it has really just made me look at, instead of being, Oh, I got to go out and just present pastor Dan at Cross Point Church. i go out and present, man, I have met the friend of friends that sticks with you, who heals. All the brokenness of a little boy, wow. he can redeem and restore, you know, restore and redeem that. And so, it's really been just challenging me about what does that friendship look? What does that story look like in that young man's life um, for his story to be redeemed and retold to his kids, his wife, his neighbors? So it's just it's just making me think of that, um, and how do I how do I do ministry? Quote unquote um, that without what's again my, my, my deacons? I, I want to say praise God for my deacon team, my de, my but my, my, the girls and the deacons. On The girls, the ladies and the men, both, all of them have agreed. They said, look, they said, Dan, we, we said, we don't need to worry about the investment. We don't even worry about the growth rate, the return rate. They're like, are we following the spirit? Are we doing the, are we doing the best practices we can? But they said, and they said, are we opening conversations and creating fertile soil for friendships and for the Holy Spirit to show up and show off? They're like, let's just stick in that vein. And they said, let's just go out and, and be friends. Like we live in, uh, my, my church is on, the, is on the west side of Sioux City. It's one of the, the lower, you'd say socioeconomic, poorer, harder, you know, that kind of whole cliche mm. demographic. Um, but the deacon teams have been like, man, let's just go out. Let's be, let's make Crosspoint a friend of the community. Wow. And And so it's really working on some of the dynamics of how we wow. look at ourselves. I mean, we know we yeah. are. Uh, the institution we know we're a church we know we're you know but but really Mm -hmm. how does the church become a friend of the community so that's
0: yeah as opposed to like a savior to the community yes right but to be a friend and to come alongside yes and you know as you were talking dan you reminded me um i learned that you have a personal motto which i first saw on your email (laughs) Which is yep. like, which is do right and fear nothing. And so yes. as you talk about this, it sounds like your deacon team is on board with this. Like do right and don't fear that we're going to have enough money for the church. Don't right. fear that there are going to be enough, you know, people yep. to make it run. Do right. you want to say a little bit more about that? Oh,
1: sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I I'll take credit. I'll take credit for this, for this model, but I've been seeing it for years. When I was a, a freshman, uh, no, sorry, sophomore in college um, Dr. Mike Riggs, who I've mentioned before, um, he was uh, hired me to be a resident assistant. Uh, I interned with him when he was a church planner in Orlando. He hired me to come back to work at Southeastern, personal mentor and friend. Um, he said, my, my sophomore year of college, he said this, he said, he started talking about, he goes, do right, fear nothing. And he worked through some of the scriptures from that, and he and, and, and ever since, and that was uh, 2000. At that you ever had something that just embeds in your spirit, like a model a phrase kind of, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's almost like, that's my, my spirit model. I don't know if I could mm-hmm. say that, you know, but that do right, fear nothing. And with that, it has emboldened me. Um, um, um Without Jesus naturally, Heather, I, I I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I'll, I, I will lie, cheat and steal to please people and to protect my own. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I'm really good. I may say something to closure. I'm really good in social situations in the sense I can, I can work the crowd. I can mm. follow, I can, I can hear the polls and follow the temperature of the room and, mm. and work it. But then when I heard that myself in your college, I, the spirit convicted me and said, Dan, are you going to be a man of principle? Are you going to do the right thing and fear nothing, even if it costs you friends and mm. jobs? And I, I, and I was like, yes, Lord, you know, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. I'm like, yes, I'll do right. Fear nothing. And so with mm. that, um, I've been saying that for years. I told to, to my leadership teams that, that we have to do right. You know, there's some scripture verses. I'll just, I'll just read a couple. Sure. Uh, this is where, it's where I base it out. Second um, Peter 2, 14 says, to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Um, that's one thing about doing right. Another is, um, is the Romans you know, 13. It says, for rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but those who do wrong. Then this says, then do what is right and you will be commended. And I know it's talking about some government, but also from there, uh, there's also in Acts 10, 34, it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And if you start to look at this, there's a lot of scripture in the new Testament that's about doing right. And doing right is righteous, right acts, right things. And so, so that's the first part of the do right. And I, and I I've been telling myself, no matter what comes in my, in, and then my church and then with our deacons, we're, talking about, right, we're going to do the right thing. We're just going to do right and not worry about what's going to come. In the second part, that fear nothing. Um, I, uh, if, if 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 people get to know me, um, they think, well, man, Dan, you're like a little lion out there. But I've grown up actually with a lot of fear in my heart, a lot of sometimes self doubt and just fear of just anxious. Oh, I, I, I don't know, but I can put a good face. I can put a good a good game on. And when I heard this, I, I, I wondered, I said, God, I said, help me to live a life where I fear nothing but you alone. You know, Mark Batterson says, you know, I live for the applause of nail scarred hands. And when, after doing this model and hearing that, it has always solidified that, God, I, I need to fear nothing. And it says this about fear nothing. First Peter 3.14, it, it says, but even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And then Hebrews eleven twenty seven 27, it says, talking about Moses, it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, because he preserved because he saw him who was invisible. And so that's the scripture that frameworks that undergirds this my personal motto of, do right, fear nothing. And that's why yeah it's on my email tagline. I, I tell people I, I, on the campaign show, they ask this, well, what's your, do you have a personal motto? And right there, I had a chance to give God glory. I said, do right, fear nothing. And they're like, well, what does that mean? And I, right. and I said, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm going there. They're like, well, go there. You're the candidate at the forums. You can speak mm-hmm. whatever you want. And I will, I broke down some of these scriptures and you know, I know some people are rolling their eyes, you know, whatever, mm. Here's this, but I'm like, once again, do right, fear nothing. And so anyhow, that's kind of what I live by. Um, and I, that's something I want my kids to see in me, you know, I hope on my deathbed, um, my kids, my wife, or the, you know, my church will say, Hey man, Dan did the, he did right. And he feared nothing. It wasn't good. perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's His good. mouth his mouth got him in trouble. He you know, he could talk a lot and maybe should have, you know, been more self-controlled, but anyhow, um, that's what yes. I want to, that's what I kind of live is do right, fear nothing. That's so.
0: really good, Dan. And I, you know, you and I have had a lot more online engagement that we have like face-to-face, but yeah. I know when we've talked face-to-face that this is a theme that runs through your ministry and it's a theme yeah. that really dictates, how you decide some of the important things that you have to decide yes. in ministry, and so mm-hmm. um, I really appreciate you coming on sure. uh, on the show. And I'm assuming this book is for everyone. Is that right? Because yeah, we, I, yeah. there's a loneliness epidemic right now. There and is.
1: You know, it's for anybody. Yeah, any leader that wants to. Yeah, any leader that wants to make his his business culture, that his employees feel more connected. I would say recommend it. You know, there's a lot of scripture in it, but there's also a lot of basic principles mm-hmm. that anybody maybe if you're not a Christ follower, you can apply. Okay, and learn to be a, a friend to your employees, to your you, maybe your coworkers, your other managers, stuff like that. So yeah, all I, right, I,
0: awesome. Working. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really yeah. appreciate you. Yeah. Being yeah, thanks, Heather.
1: Right. It was great for talking. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining my conversation with Pastor Dan Bittinger and this episode of Your Pastor Reads Books. Check out the show notes for links to the books we mentioned. And if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to my newsletter at heatherweber.substack.com. That's Weber with one B. Or for more information about me and other creative projects I'm working on, click around on my website at heatherweber.org. Thanks so much and enjoy your day.